0: Okay, thanks. Um, I want to introduce uh, Amy Sharitz, um, uh, speaker today, who's an independent artist. She runs the Museum of Water, invented, and carries on, which is more about a museum of meaning than a museum of water. Uh, welcome to the city of water. There's water all around us, in that direction, that direction. It's not immediately apparent, but uh, unlike London, they haven't covered up. All of the all all of the streams and rivers. Um, um, water is this thing that defines and boundaries us, and uh, but actually it's also this uh, this thing that is sometimes without boundaries, as we see when uh, um, mocks get flooded earlier this year. So. What's the fascination? Water? I mean, I, my fascination with water actually comes from um, the, early, the early years when I worked with, with people in energy metabolism, and they developed this thing called double labeled water, and also deuterium oxide, which is an isotope of water, which uh, they use to dilute in the body to work out body composition, and by difference, you can work out fatness and all that kind of stuff. So it's this thing that actually penetrates certain boundaries, and so. Um, um, <laughs> Identifying what is not water is as important as defining what is water, and it's not my talk, it's your talk, only, so please, talk. <laughs> oh.
1: oh, no, you could have gone on, I just didn't know. Um, thank you. Um, and thanks for having me, thanks for coming. Um, uh, me and Stanley met swimming in the Thames, um, so it's really marvellous to have started that way and be continuing this uh, conversation. Uh, about water. Do I just yeah. press here? Oh, no. no. The air um, break. Enter. Ah, okay. Um, I'm a live artist, so I do make things and films, uh, but mainly I invite people to come and do things with me. Um, I'm interested in the moment. I'm interested in conversation, uh, in, our, in our, how we manage to communicate and I'm interested in people. Um, uh, for the last 10 years, I've made work about people and water or looking at people through water or making work about water. I'm never sure about which way round uh, the importance lies. Um, this was a piece uh, called Drift. Uh, where I invited one person for, at a time for a drift in a boat. I toured it around swimming pools uh, around the country. Um, and I'm just going to talk about a few water pieces before the museum, just as this sense of our water history and the kind of work that I make, the kind of offer that I make uh, with my art. It's not just a question of participating. It's an enabling offer. Uh, I'm interested in the moment that we create together. So it's different each time depending on who meets me, who comes in the boat with me as much as other pieces. Um, this sense of, and what their history before that moment has been, you know, what happened to them that morning if they had an argument, what the smell in the air is as we meet, the scent of jasmine or the chlorine or the. What affects everything? All these things affect the moment. So my pieces are not scripted. I have a whole bank of things that I'm interested in, but we go wherever we go, depending on who meets me. It is essentially the architecture of a moment. Uh, so Drift, oh, uh, it toured around England. It was a piece at, <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. Are you what? The arrow keys work better.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yes, thank you. That's the other thing. technological, total duffer. Um, it was a piece at twilight. Uh, so the only thing that you couldn't do in this piece was push off from the side. <laughs> you had to, you stepped off dry land and then you let go. So sometimes it was essentially, it was very much about not being the engine, uh, uh, the agent of your own engine, of your own agency, the sense of you... Sometimes you let go and you only got a couple of feet from the side, and that was really tough if you wanted to get over to the other end. Um, So you were not, you could not go at your own speed, um, which could be very difficult for some people. You just noticed the movement of the water, you noticed the movement of your thoughts, making very strongly that connection as we do daily make, I think, with water, of uh, we use. Water metaphors to define all our thinking, the sense of stagnating or going with the flow or um, uh, you know a deluge of excitement or you know all these are terms are water based for our thinking. so this really investigated the meander um, and noticed the night come down so this was in Manchester it was this fantastic pool in Manchester and it started at four and you could hear all the kids going back from, the, uh, from school and then there was a lull while everyone went home for dinner. Then people came out at night time um, and you heard all the kind of sounds of kind of revelry and then at about 10 o'clock, uh, all the ambulances came. That was very really funny. Um, this is a piece called Swim. Uh, so exactly what it says. It was 50 people swam across London from Tooting-Beck Lido to Hampstead Heath Ponds we ran through the streets, we went on an old routemaster bus, um, we, there we are all lined up in this kind of this, it was really a peculiar sense of Britishness with our um, with our flesh on display, the sense of uh, that I have that Our sort of our rolls of fat, our higgledy-pigglediness, our unperfect Britishness. Uh, you said it was based a lot on the book Uh, the swimmer and Phil the swimmer Um, this sense of swimming home if you could um, if you could join the blue dots across London uh, and access the water uh, in a drier and drier cityscape Um, it very much looked at how we spend our time uh, and what is usual Uh, what did you do on a Thursday Um, this is what we did we crossed London this way with our rolls of pasty flesh on display um, and uh, we passed the commuters going the other way to work it was a piece for all ages uh, as all my work is free and everybody welcome Um, but it was really this sense of taking the measure of London in our strides and in our Uh, and in the strokes of our arms and how we affected our city as much as how it affected us Um, so we it was a sense of taking the waters of London, it questioned how we access our water it is all through piped taps chlorinated rectangles of pools um, and there's very few in London, it's obviously different in Oxford I've swam in Oxford too in the river but um, we only have a few uh, lakes and lidos uh, that aren't uh, that are sort of so-called natural, you know, uh, straight from the ground. Um, all sorts of people came on swim. This he was a baroque violinist. Um, we had uh, we had we even had people who didn't like swimming very much. They just liked the atmosphere around pools. So this sense of water, how we use it, how we feel about it, it may not even be the substance itself. That we're particularly interested in, but they saw what how it affected other people and what it could offer. This is a piece I did a, a load of. It's interesting that you mentioned the underground rivers of London. I did, I mapped all the other. All the underground rivers of London, not all of them are six of the uh, seven of the twenty two that there are besides the Thames, um, so the ones that are hidden now by streets, um, I redoused them as a group dowsing, so somewhere between sort of five and twenty people would all walk the streets with dowsing rods, and as you walk down the road, suddenly, all the dowsing rods walk that way, and it was a sense of the combustion of time that is possible when you suddenly uh, are thrown back 500 years to where a river would have been right under your feet. You can see its flow. um, You can feel it in the topography of the streets. It was a way of reorientating ourselves through London streets that we may know very well. Um, I certainly do, having lived there all my life. Um, It was also a question of remembering, literally, as in remembering, filling with bodies. Uh, and making, in some ways, um, remaking the river. So this was the biggest piece. It was 65 people uh, tied together in the shape of a water molecule, which incredibly allowed for so much movement between the uh, 65 people that I was halfway back for the first hour of the walk and they just found their way. Um, So it was called Wallbrook. It was uh, through the city streets uh, at Rush Hour the last half through the city of London was in silence. So we walked in a body of silence and this sense of, uh, that that was kind of catching. People, uh, that silence was catching in some way, that actually people stopped their busy lives. They felt our presence as much as, uh, and and stopped talking themselves as we walked past. Um, It was also very interesting to walk in silence because when you walk together, you quite, you're faced towards each other and a little bit down, as if to hear each other talk. But when you walk in silence, your eyes are upward. It's an entirely different experience. You are together, but uh, very much part of the city. Um, and so, to Museum of Water, I have been collecting... So I started this piece a year ago. I've been collecting for just over a year. It's a public collection of water that anybody can give me. Any water in any bottle. Um, It is this sense of, I know what I know. I know how I feel about water. I've been investigating it and my feelings for it and it and other people's feelings for it for 10 years I feel like I've been I'm a kind of cartographer of what I've been mapping our feeling for water for a really long time and I'm I know and I know and I'm, I'm interested in what other people have to say so this piece is all about what other people bring how they feel about water what they treasure about water so you choose a water and you come and talk to me about it this is how it started off on a street corner in Soho loads of little homely cabinets where we put our best things on display, the inside taken out uh, to show our most precious things. Alongside, the the Museum of Water is always a water bar in celebration of our incredible access to fresh water in this country, which is a gift often uh, forgotten or overrated. But the lack of fresh water very quickly moves you to crisis. so this sense of a sharing, I feel quite often in our city lives, certainly in London in the 90s, there was a huge move to get rid of benches and build spikes. And it's been it's slightly going the other way now. People are understanding the gift of a little bit of rest in public spaces. But um, the water bar comes with tables and chairs, a place of respite, a little refreshment, and a chance to stop and talk, have a conversation around water, um, Uh, in between busy lives and uh, the break in the journey Um, and the museum is a performed collection so people come and talk to me they give me their water and they tell me what's in it for them the first question is always what have you brought me what's in your bottle Um, and then I my job really is uh, not only to you know I'm sort of half a Jalitae Dust the bottles down, or I keep the dust on, um, depending on how they arrive. And then I open the door, so I simply look after—I look after them safely—and I show the collection. But also, I remember people's phrases. I think it's very important. It's this sense of—it is, in many ways, I've come to understand it as an oral history piece. Um, uh, I have to notice. I have to listen really carefully to what people tell me to tell when they tell me what is important about their water to them, um, or what becomes apparent during our conversations. And then my job and the other librarians or custodians of the collection uh, is to pass that information on. And also the collection changes as new people come. In this way, people have a chance to influence other people's bottles. So. uh, This tiny bottle here that I'm showing is a a bottle filled with, it's uh, 21 years old, it was filled in Maine in 1992 by a a girl when she was 18 who went to Maine to visit her sister and the snowdrifts were 20 feet high and she said it was like an alien landscape. Uh, she'd never seen anything like it, so the only bottle she had was this tiny yardly bottle. It's very sweet of a kind of... It's already an anachronism. She stuffed it, crammed it, full of snowdrift, and then has had it on her mantelpiece for 21 years, gradually watching it evaporate. There's nothing in the bottle anymore. It's just a, it's just a little bit of residue. But someone later came to the museum. She called it an ex-ghost, uh, X water Sorry, she called it X water and then somebody later came to the museum and saw the little marking of this little wave of residue and goes, oh, it's a snow ghost. And this sense of how we use snow and how we use... And a and memory layering was so beautiful. And so then I can see that that becomes part of the bottle's story and history now. Um, and then just last, uh, just last month in Lancashire... Someone walked, I was telling this, I was showing the bottle to someone, and she goes, Coronation Rose. I was like, sorry, what? She was like, oh, that was the perfume. I was like, so so suddenly a whole year later, in the other part of the country, someone has added something. I thought there was no more to know about the bottle, but there was. There always is. She told me the original perfume. So, um, the connection changes and changes. Uh... Again, as always, depending on who meets me. Um, so uh, so I just was going to show you a few of the bottles, a few of the ways that people have used, uh, have used the invitation. Um, because it is an invitation. It is an invitation. Now I have 350 odd bottles in the collection. So it is an invitation to notice water, to spend time with it and to really pay attention with it. There's a really lot of very beautiful bottles, which people are carrying all sorts of things. So this is the water, this is an eight-year-old girl. It's the water she washed her brushes in after doing a painting, she said, of a dolphin jumping up out of the sea. This is a seven-year-old girl. It's her melted snowman. And these two little balls are the eyes from, uh, from that were his eyes. He was about twelve inches high. She said. With a she made him a little green cloth cap, um, and she made him on the lid of the bottle, and then caught it when it melted. Um, so I have all sorts of snow and hail. There is a kind of ritual of giving and gathering that goes in with this. So people have to go on. They do all the work really before they've met me. They they gather the pilgrimage of their gathering which mirrors John Snow's pilgrimage, it was begun on the steps of the John Snow pump in Broadwick Street in, um, in Soho so this sort of ritual of gathering these three girls gave me madness friendship water, and one of them was moving away, they'd lived together all their lives and one of them was moving away uh, so they dipped one after another the water in the sea where they were, they uh They all poured sand and some stones in, in this sense of um, uh, holding on to something precious, the moment of giving, as much as the water itself. I have snowballs in the collection. The snowballs will sit proudly alongside an ice core from the British Antarctic Survey. and they have also promised me, So, and I love that combination, that this huge long ice core from however many hundreds of years ago will sit alongside a two-year-old snowballs, carefully fashioned. Um, the sense of how we use water, how we look at it, what it looks like, um, how we access it. Um, and the British Antarctic Survey have also offered me a tiny vial of water that is one hundred and twenty five thousand years old from the interglacial period uh, the the warm period before the, between the ice ages before the ice so this sense of i 'm thinking of i haven 't seen the vial yet it 's not in my hands but i 'm thinking of it as this lull between the storms already it 's I mean, it's, but it's almost beyond my imagining, that water. It's almost, you know, it's from a time beyond past. So I have hail, I have snow, I have condensation carefully wrung from a window in Falmouth and a sponge, you know, mopped up and wrung out. I have um, steam and spit and pee. I have... Um, uh, this is water from the end of the line it's from Brighton seawater but it was the water from her favourite beach but she was from Brighton and she came from a whole ancestor all her family were fishermen or in the fishing industry and she was the last of the line and she hated fish so she was she had this sense of an ending in her bottle all different choices um, she said she couldn't even stand the smell of it So this is water from the sea uh, in Croatia. This woman went to Croatia where the land splits off into islands. And somebody said, do you want to swim to that island? And she looked at it. It was a really long way away. She was a really good swimmer, but she thought, will I make it? And She wasn't sure, but she accepted anyway because the gift of the uh, offer was it was too lovely to refuse but she stuffed a bottle, not that bottle a plastic light bottle down her swimming costume and brought me water from the midway point of the swim which I loved, this sense of the moment when it's as far to go on as to go back, the moment of commitment, the moment of no return Um, so this sense of what I'm most proud at in the museum is that, well I'm proud of many things about it, Um, that's not all my work so I'm going to have to be, but um, uh, that it can house all sorts of philosophical ideas as much as uh, uh, you know water from the uh, animals places, people, but all the things that it um, houses in these bottles, it can house conceptual moments I thought this was a conceptual space, the point of No Return, I didn't realise it was a site, an actual site, but I have the water from it now. Um, so I like that it houses all these things but doesn't feel stretched. This is one of the three peas, one of the three pisses that I have. This man, uh, he said he is the first piss of the day. All the peas are very different. Um, they, uh, and he said he stood in the bath to collect it because he didn't want to miss a drop. So I like that each of the stories comes with an image albeit all different, but this sense of absolute preciousness, this kind of, this is Apothecary's jar, old jar, this sense of gold dust, of um, alchemy and preciousness. Um, this is the water, this is sacred water from the daily dishes. This woman brought me water from her washing up that morning. For many years, she had begrudged the uh, daily drudgery of washing up after her and her family. um, She has two children, two young children. And lately, uh, she had come to a realization that she had to reframe that for herself, that that was really not not the way to think about it. So she'd reframed it as a daily act of devotion, that actually cleaning up after people is... One of the ways that you show them you care, and as such, is a sacred um, act. And I wanted to talk about that sense here a little bit and uh, wander it through a bit with you. Um, not only that, the museum houses a lot of the ritual of water, but it is the sacredness of our everyday lives. It is the performance of our everyday lives. It is the toothpaste spit gathered one morning, but very carefully, from each member of the family. Um, It is this woman, this girl here, she was young, five. Um, And she came and I said, what have you brought me? She goes, they're my tears. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, you must have been very, very sad. She said, I was I am, I'm very, and cross. I've got a new baby brother and I'm very cross about it. And some of those tears are my other brother's uh, tears because uh, he's very cross too because the baby bit him. So this sense of transubstantiation of those are her tears, of, um, and this question of the, the, this sense of With the museum, it is a kind of ministry of water, of what I do is a listening, caring service in some way. Um, And the fact is I brought another bottle, an actual bottle, um, to show you on this side. It's just something I've been thinking about really a lot, of this, you know, I have a lot of so-called holy water. Um, But then last week in... Uh, Lancaster, uh, this woman gave me this bottle The bottle's from Lord, Lourdes But she, the water inside is from her, from her Auntie Margaret's kitchen tap um, Because they go round there every Sunday for tea and cakes And the uh, sacredness of her Sundays with her Auntie Margaret her, the, sacred, the joy and sacredness of family life in that way, as experienced on her Sundays, was something that I really, uh, that I think is, is, is true for these last three bottles, this sense of... Uh, it's no surprise that churches use water to refresh and baptise and uh, we all use it to... Uh, to how I have a sense, and I, this is not something I've particularly phrased out loud before, but this sense of we all use water to house some of our most precious moments. And it's just um, evidenced uh, in the collection. So the collection um, comes to Somerset House for the whole of June this year, um, all the bottles uh, will be on display. Um, and I was looking at pictures of Mirandi's paintings the other day, and just this sense of it's, it's nothing new in some way, looking at ourselves through water. But the extraordinary nature of the museum is, is made up by, by people people who just bring the most extraordinary, marvellous uh, things. Uh, so I'm very um, I was very proud to I had no idea about what it could look like when I started it uh, and it's just uh, sort of much more sort of beyond my imaginings and it's uh, kind of so I hope you will come and see it in June and then it tours for one more I mean I think I'll tour it for a while but I'll just collect for one more year water, new water and then the collection will be a finished Complete collection of how we used to use water. Um, uh, uh, you know, and we'll have a different timeline uh, with the water that we use in two years, three years' time. It'll be a, a finished collection. And that was it. I have another couple of um, water pieces, uh, but I think we'll finish on the collection uh, as it is. Okay, thanks very much.